0: Hey, Pathway family, welcome back to this series that we're doing on the book of Joshua. Now, in today's message, I'm going to be focusing my attention on a guy by the name of Caleb. And we're going to pick up on his story in Joshua chapter 14, uh, really specifically looking at verses 6 to 15, so we can gain some insights into the life of Caleb and how we can then apply them to our own lives. So, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 14, and I'm going to be reading very specifically verse 12. Joshua 14, verse 12. And again, if you don't know where the book of Joshua is in the beginning of your Bible, there's a table of contents. People worked really hard to put it there. Don't be ashamed to use it. Joshua 14, verse 12. Here's what it says. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord, helping me I will drive them out just as he has said. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for today. And I thank you for the time we could spend together here looking into your word and gleaning something from it, Lord, that'll help us move in a different and, and exciting direction for our lives. And so, Lord God, as we look into your word, may our eyes be open, may our hearts be open, may our spirits be open to whatever it is you have for us today. In your name I pray. Amen. Now, before we get into Caleb, I, I should tell you that Caleb is a pretty old guy by this point, and I just thought, you know what, I, I'm tipping point, you could say, of whether or not I'm in that middle age category. So I was thinking about this, and I'm like, you know what, you know you're getting old when, right, I'm just going to list a couple of things here, you know you're getting old when you remember being able to deliver the soft drink bottles back to the store and getting a refund. Might be getting old, if you remember that. How about this one? You you might be getting old if you can remember the words to Bon Jovi's, you give love a bad name. (laughs) Actually, you might be getting old if you're sitting there right now and you're reciting those words in your head. (laughs) Okay, uh, maybe uh, if you can remember all the words to the theme song of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, you might be getting old you've ever ended a sentence with the word psych, you might be getting old. Or you remember the original uh, infomercial with this phrase, help, I've fallen and I can't get up. You might be getting old. Uh, maybe you remember if, uh, if you're my age or a little bit older, uh, putting playing cards in your spokes so that you can get that incredible sound when you would bike around on your vehicle. You might be getting old if you remember that. Uh, you used to, and maybe probably still do, say things like, What you talking about, Willis? You might be getting old. Or you remember when Vanilla Ice was on the Arsenio Hall show. As a matter of fact, if you even remember who Arsenio Hall is, you might be getting old. Or you remember your parents saying something to the effect of this Walk it off. You might be getting old. Now, that's sort of a humorous thing. And and we look backwards in life and we have all these nostalgic things. I mean, I had a couple other things on here. I said, you know, uh, a lot of the uh, ladies that I was friends with growing up or even my sisters, they were really into Punky Brewster. And so for them, you know, if you remember who Punky Brewster is and wanted to be just like her, you might be getting old. Um, And so we have these nostalgic pictures of life from our history and, and so we look backwards in time from time to time and we remember things. And these are uh, often things that, that are meaningful to us. Some things are meaningful to us because we find them funny. Uh, maybe they're meaningful to us because we've had uh, family encounters around those kinds of things. And so as we get older, what we recognize is that we hang on to those things and those things matter to us. There's other things that happen to us as we get older as well. Our bodies get weaker, um, and and even though our bodies get weaker, one would hope that spiritually we become stronger. Uh, And so strong enough to be able to be confident enough in God to say to God, give me that mountain, whatever that mountain is. And so I want to have this time right now where we're going to look at a guy by the name of Caleb. And Caleb, in this story, he is a person that Joshua counted on quite a bit. He was a person that uh, was a man of faith, and he was excited about who the Lord was and is. He was a part of Israel when they left Egypt. He was there when God divided the waters of the Red Sea. He was there uh, recognizing and understanding that Israel crossing the Red Sea is a picture of salvation, free from bondage and a free from being under Pharaoh's rule and Pharaoh's bondage. So observing Israel as they journey through the wilderness shows us that there's so much more to salvation than just being free. God had a land flowing with milk and honey, it said, prepared for them. And and it would be a land of giants and a land of battles and tall walls, but they wanted it. And... Really, God was saying, it's theirs if they want it. Here's this land, it's yours if you want it. God saves us, and He promises us that we can have a life of victory, an intense spiritual joy, but rather than claim what is rightfully ours, like things like peace and joy and fellowship and power and the glory of God, we choose to live in the spiritual wilderness sometimes, defeated and sometimes depressed. And so I ask myself as I'm reading this story of Caleb, what enables this 85-year-old guy to possess that which God had promised him? Caleb pictures that Christian who is willing to pay the price to fight the battles, to win the victory that God has waiting for him. So let's take a look at the life of Caleb in this particular part of the story. Joshua chapter 14, verses 8 and 9 and verse 14, they say this. Uh, starting with verse 8, it says, But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made their hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. And on that day Moses swore to me, The land which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that your children forever will Sorry, and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. And then verse 14, he says, So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Keziite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. And I think that one of the things we learned about Caleb's life that we need to be applying to our own lives is that Caleb followed the Lord wholeheartedly. This is one of the ways he was able to come back as an 85-year-old man and rest in the security of knowing that he can claim the promise of God. Now, the first key to Caleb's success, of course, was that God had all of Caleb that there was to have. Wholeheartedly. It's a repeated phrase. Wholeheartedly followed the Lord. This uh, This is said about six times of Caleb in the Old Testament. It is a Phrase that means to close the gap, To um, it's the idea that it refers to the fact that Caleb was committed to keeping the distance between him and the Lord at a minimum, at an absolute minimum, close that gap wholeheartedly, and it just begs questions, right? Like this whole idea of every inch, every ounce, every nerve, every fiber of Caleb belonged to God. And I just wonder, what would it be like to live like that? Now, you may think that because you're not a preacher or deacon, maybe you're not a Sunday school teacher or whatever it is, that God doesn't expect to have all of you. Well, guess what? You're wrong. Um, God actually wants all of us. He deserves all of us. If we're saved, we're all His anyway. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says this. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? who lives in you and was given to you by God. Listen, you do not belong to yourself. Verse 20, for God bought you at a high price, so you must honor God with your body. So we're not our own anyway. And and God wants all of us, So He, we belong to Him, and, and He just desires for our hearts to be wholeheartedly devoted to Him. The man who kneels before God can stand before anything. The man who kneels before God can stand before anything and anyone. And our commitment to Christ affects our other relationships. The more devoted we are to Jesus, the more faithful we're going to be to our church, our family, and our friends. And so total commitment to Jesus leads to ultimate victory. And that's what we find in the life of Caleb. Total commitment, wholehearted commitment, this closing of the gap between the Father and himself, leads to his ultimate victory. Point number two would be this in terms of Caleb's life. In Joshua chapter 14, verse 12, which was, was our reading, uh, Caleb believed the Lord. So not only was Caleb wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord, but he also believed the Lord. And... And you sit there and you start asking yourself questions like, well, what gave this 85-year-old Caleb the idea that he could be a giant killer? Because remember, what we find in here is that the Anakites, the Anakites are the sons of Anak, and the sons of Anak were a race of giants. And so he leans back into that, and he actually says, you yourself heard then that the Anakites were there, and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, listen, I will drive them out. You are an 85-year-old man. You're going to drive out giants? I just imagine Caleb is sitting there saying to himself, because right before that, he actually talks about it here. He says uh, in verse, towards the end of verse 10, so here I am today, 85 years old, verse 11, I am still as strong today as I was in the day of Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out and battle now as I was then. You know what he's saying here? He's saying, I still got it. I got this. You got giants in the way? I got them. If the Lord is helping me, right? He says, the Lord helping me, I will drive them out. This guy believed the Lord. And he understood. He still had it. Because it wasn't really about him anyway, right? It was about closing that gap between him and the Lord, being able to walk faithfully into the things that the Lord's called him into, and also to take hold of the promises that were given to him. Caleb's confidence was in the Lord and in his word. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 34 to 36 says this. When the Lord heard about your complaining, he became very angry. So he solemnly swore, not one of you from this wicked generation will leave, live to see the good land I swore to give your ancestors. Except, catch this? Except Caleb, son of Jeff. I'm not going to even try. I can't pronounce it. There's too many letters in there. Well, I'll try. Jephunua. He will see the land because he has followed the Lord. Listen, completely. Other translations will say wholeheartedly. I will give to him and his descendants some of the very land he explored during his scouting mission. And during his scouting mission, he went into the land and talked about the sons of Anak. And here we are talking about the Anakites being present in the land. Pretty cool. In Canaan, the spies had seen the sons of Anak, this race of giants. They had seen themselves as grasshoppers, except for Joshua and Caleb. And so when others saw giants, Caleb saw God. You catch that? When others saw cities that were walled up to heaven, Caleb saw cities reduced to rubble. When others saw a dreadful enemy, Caleb saw a defeated enemy. When others saw only enemies, Caleb saw fruit. Caleb had seen the promised land, and while others complained, Caleb looked for a mountain where the milk and honey flowed. He was able to see beyond his circumstances and into the promises of God. You catch that? You've got to see beyond the circumstances and into the promises of the Lord. And faith is then, we could say, more than just saying we believe. It is acting upon what we believe. Hebrews 11 verse 1, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things that we cannot see. Caleb believed. He had faith. So he was wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord, meaning he closed the gap between him and the Father. He absolutely believed the Lord. His faith was present in his understanding of what the promises were, and he walked towards them and into them. Thirdly, Caleb was strengthened by the Lord. And he had a, a, a to scale three really big obstacles, you could say, in his quest for his cannon. Now the first obstacle would be this, he had to overcome grasshoppers, overcome grasshoppers. Numbers 13, 33 uh, talks about this uh, for Caleb, To claim what God had promised, he had to go against the majority. The majority of the people said, we are like grasshoppers to these people. So he had to overcome these grasshoppers. There will always be someone that will say, it cannot be done. Always. Or they'll say something like, well, it's never been done like that before. Or they might even say, we can't afford it. Caleb had to overcome the grasshoppers. Where others saw giants, Caleb saw a defeated army. And that didn't change from when he was 40 to now 85, he still sees them as defeated because he recognizes that with the Lord, he can defeat them. Caleb had to overcome grasshoppers. Secondly, he had to overcome giants. In Numbers 14, 8 and 9, right? And and so he's looking at these sons of Anak. He recognizes that these are giants. And this is not a small deal. It's not like Caleb was ignorant of the fact that these guys were enormous. All of us have giants. Giants of discouragement, of finances, of sickness, family, distress, doubt. You know, and the truth is, is that we can't actually defeat them ourselves. And so we really only have two options. We can say... Uh, Look how small we are in comparison to those giants. That's an outlook of fear, really. We're looking at the situation devoid of the presence of God. In 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God has not put in us or given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So here's the deal. It's not a fear and timidity. We're not going to be timid and we're not going to be fearful. Why? Because what he's given us is a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. And so we lean into those things. Now, the other thing is people can look at this and say, oh, look how small those giants are and compared to God. And this I want to recommend to you or suggest to you is the pivot of faith. Ephesians 3.20. Now, all glory to God who was able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Some translations say that we can even imagine. I want you to know something. I'm a pretty imaginative guy. I got big dreams, big ideas on the things that we can do to reach people in the Peminipal Valley. But God is capable of doing more than I can imagine. More than I can imagine. Think about how vivid your imagination can be. Or maybe you've got somebody in your life that you're just thinking, man, that person has just got idea after idea after idea, and their imagination is so huge, and the dream so big. I just want you to know that that pales in comparison to what God's able to imagine. He can do more than we can imagine. Much more. Caleb had to see that there needed to be this pivot of faith. And that pivot of faith was to see how small the giants are and compared to God. So what are the giants in your life? And where do you place them in terms of the power they have in your life in relationship to God? Are you more concerned about your finances than you are in your faith? Are you more concerned about um, your, your health issues than you are in who your relationship or what your relationship is like with the Lord? These are the things that require a pivot of faith. And he can do way more than we could ever ask or imagine. More than we can ask. And guys, we're really good at asking for things if we're honest about it. He can do more, way more. Thirdly, he had to overcome gray hair. He just had to overcome gray hair. Joshua 14, 10 and 11. And what does this tell us? Uh, Well, I'll just read 10 11. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses. While Israel... Moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. And I'm still as strong today as I was the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out into battle as I was then. You have to overcome this idea of the gray hair. So, what does it tell us? Well, when God makes a promise, He's going to give us the strength to see it to its fulfillment. That's, that's the truth about who God is. True faith looks beyond the present circumstance and into the present. Provision of the Almighty. Truth faith looks beyond the present circumstance and into the provision of the Almighty. That's huge. You have to look past right here. Look, the reality is he was aging. 85 years old. Now, when I'm 85 years old, when I am 85 years old, I have no desire to try and face some giants where I have to pick up a sword and a shield. And Caleb was like, yeah, I got this. With Lord's help. I got this. He had to overcome the idea that he got older. Look, the reality is I know what he says here, but it's highly likely that he wasn't as strong at 85 as he was at 40. It's just unlikely. Um, And so you have Caleb saying here, I still got this. I'm still in this fight, and, and I can do this, especially with the Lord helping me. That's important. Another thing to learn from Caleb. Uh, another thing we can learn from Caleb here is, is taken from Joshua fourteen verses thirteen to fourteen. Caleb fellowship with the Lord. Thirteen and fourteen says, then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kezite, a uh, Kenizite. Sorry, ever since because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Fellowship with the Lord. Caleb experienced what God had promised. He climbed the mountains, he defeated the giants, he claimed his possession. The name of Caleb sorry, the name of the place Caleb inherited was named Hebron, which means, you ready? Fellowship. And it says that he followed God, the Lord God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Think about this. The place is called fellowship. He followed him wholeheartedly, which means to close the gap of space between him and the Father. Doesn't that sound like fellowship to you? To close the gap? He had fellowship with the Father. Caleb refused to quit until he had obtained everything that the Lord had for him. He refused to stop until he had obtained the place of fellowship with God. It isn't God's will for you to wander around in the wilderness of defeat forever. It just isn't. It is His will that you will walk in victory and in His power. According to 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14, here's what it says. But thank God that He has made us His captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now He uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like sweet perfume. So look. There will be trials. And God, well, he had a flood for Noah. He had a fire for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He had a lion's den for Daniel. He had a cake for the widow, a cross for Jesus. But there was always victory in the midst of each of these trials. And there will be victory for you as well. So total commitment to Jesus leads to Ultimate victory. Joshua 14, 10, 12. um, Some fantastic stuff that as we continue reading it through, that Joshua just really leaned leaned into the promise of God, believed it, hung on to it, never let it go. Can you imagine hanging on to a promise of God to come to fulfillment for 45 years? He was tenacious about it, it would seem. 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8 says this, And and I want to talk about this from the perspective of how do we want to orient our lives towards the end of life. I know that might sound strange for some of us who, who might not be thinking of end of life issues as of yet. But Joshua 14, 10 to 12 was talking about a guy who literally lives out what Paul is talking about in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, where it says this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord. The righteous judge will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. And it seems to me that Caleb is living this out, this this principle, completely living it out. There was a promise from God. We have a promise from God. And Caleb lived into that promise and desired it and recognized that He ran a good race. And you know what? Here's the really cool thing about it. He recognizes that his inheritance is there, and he's still willing to go fight for it. Still willing to press on into it. And I love that. I absolutely love that. So here's a question. As it relates to Paul, as it relates to Caleb, and we see these people in the Scriptures that are not perfect people, but they're people in the Scriptures that we get to talk about, where are you in your personal walk with the Lord today? Now, I know a lot of you are going to say, well, not where I should be. Not, it's not as good as it should be. It's not where it should be. Look, okay, have you entered into this promise that God has for you? Or are you wandering around the wilderness still struggling day to day? Where are you? Are you at peace with God? Or are you wandering? You see, the vast difference between promise, there is a vast difference between promise and possession. God promised Israel the land, but in order, it, they had to possess it before it actually became theirs. God promised it to them, but they had to go possess it before it became theirs. God has a victory for His children, which is His promise. And I want to just suggest this to you, and like as we wrap this up, a pursued promise is a possessed promise. When you pursue the promises of God, you will hang on to the promises of God. You will grab hold of the promises of God. A promise must be actively pursued, and possess before it will become a reality. And here's what I mean. When we talk about the gospel, for example, God promises salvation to all who call upon his name. All. And so if that's the promise, then the possession of that promise is calling out on his name. And he says, right, like if you, if you um, confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be safe. That's a promise. But there's activity in that promise. There's something to do, to possess in that promise. Not from a works perspective, but it's literally, look, you got to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. you got to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. This is pursuing the promise so that you can take possession of the promise. And you become gods. And in the event that you're curious, nowhere in scripture do I see anything that is God's able to be taken from God. You're his. It's the promise. So how are you living out life? Are you wandering in the wilderness or are you pursuing the promise and possessing that promise? What is it? He promises his peace. Are you hanging on to that or are you trying to pursue something on your own and and becoming anxious? Where are you? Where are you? Let me conclude. I'll just leave it this way. A total commitment to Jesus leads to ultimate victory. My hope and prayer for you is that you will find that ultimate victory that Jesus desires for you. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for this time that we've had together, looking into your word, looking at Caleb and trying to understand more from his life. And I pray, Jesus, that we will learn those principles that Caleb had. Lord, that we will have a faith in you, that we will be wholeheartedly committed to you. Lord, that we will have a desire to close the gap. Lord, that we would have fellowship with you, and that we would have the confidence in knowing that as we pursue the promises and possess them, that you are faithful in fulfilling them. In your name I pray. Amen.